0: Snuff
1: Production. Oh, uh, hello, and welcome to another episode <laughs> of.
0: <laughs> oh. Hello. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Energy, peppy,
0: peppy energy. Okay, go.
1: Hello and welcome. <laughs> oh,
0: that was good. <laughs> oh sorry sorry i threw you off i was good though okay go
1: hello and welcome to another episode of just the gist a weekly-ish podcast where rosie waterland gives us just the gist of what we need to know about a topic of her choosing I have no idea what we're talking about today, I know, Rosie. I haven't told you.
0: And also, you always forget to say your name in the intro. My
1: name's Jacob Stanley. Yes, thank and you. And it's my pleasure to be here with you. Thank
0: you so much. Otherwise, they say in the comments that I'm narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm only thinking about me when I ask you to do that. <laughs>
1: I will introduce myself to make you look better. There we go.
0: Welcome, dearest friend Jacob Stanley. And yes, I haven't told you what we're talking about this week. I'm very excited about it. And you're going to get excited when I say it because you know how much I love this topic. We're talking about... Titanic. 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 Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. You knew. <laughs>
1: oh, she has been dropping amazing Titanic facts on me for years and years and years. I'm sure I've forgotten all of them, but oh, I you look so happy and so excited.
0: Because I've been researching it for the last three and a half hours. <laughs> Not that I really need to. I feel like I could make corrections on the Wikipedia. <laughs> <page>. <laughs> okay, a weird random fact people don't know about me is that I've been obsessed with the Titanic for a very, very long time. Mm. Um, since before the movie, thanks, late comers. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it before it was cool. Um, my dad used to tell me stories about it when I was little and I was really obsessed with it, but this was back before the internet was a thing, so it was very difficult to get any info on it. Mm. My mum had to order me, like, this book from England, um, which I loved and read and read and read and read. And then the movie came out. And there was an explosion of obsession with Titanic. So Mm. then there was a million books everywhere. So I had so many. And I used to like spend my Saturday nights while my sister was in her room with all her cool friends listening to Tupac and secretly smoking bongs out the window. Mm. And I would sit next to a CD player playing the Titanic soundtrack, reading Titanic books and comparing the facts in each of them and like putting corrections in them (laughs) because I was going to write to the publisher. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to let them know there'd been mistakes. <laughs> Slightly <gasps> zest. Um I saw the film 13 times at the movies, uh-huh. but I hated the Jack and Rose parts because they were lame. Mm-hmm. So I only really wanted to see like the engine room and stuff, and again point out where there were historical inaccuracies. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I know a lot about this stuff. Okay. <laughs> And I will say my knowledge has waned somewhat as I've gotten older. But as I was going over it all to get it ready for today, I realised just how much I do still know. And it's kind of embarrassing. Uh
1: Did you ever send any of your corrections into the publishing house?
0: I'm sure I I passed them on to my mother who told me that she would and she never did. Okay, right. (laughs) I still have all my books at home. I still have... I had... um, For Christmas one year, all I wanted was the front page of the New York Times with the headline that the Titanic had sunk, and Mm. I got that framed, and I had Mm -hmm. that hanging in my room for a long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I also um, got my mum to – oh, my God, this is so embarrassing – make me like – because my mum was quite creative when she was sober – and she made me a bunch of portholes to stick on my bedroom walls so oh, the inside of man. my room looked like the inside of a ship.
1: Oh, cute.
0: I know. Mm. And I wasn't I was like 12. Yeah. Like I was old enough to be cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: You went in a different direction and that's okay.
0: Anyway. Anyway, so, so are we doing
1: breaking news yes, this shall week? We, we are. <gasps>
0: Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop, you see? Get it here. <laughs> Boys, I got the headlines. I was chasing down a scoop and I Scoopity scoop doo. <laughs> scoop away. <laughs> People have commented that they really like that voice.
1: They really do, yes.
0: Um, so I'm just gonna like let it organically develop each week. <laughs> Um, But that's how I imagine everybody talked in the 30s, Mm -hmm. especially journalists. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, breaking news this week. Um, Well, first of all, guys, Adelaide, you've kind of come through. My Kid Chameleon shows at Adelaide Fringe have sold out on the Friday and the Saturday night. There's still a few tickets left to the other shows, so get in quick. Mm. Jacob will be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Canberra is this Sunday. So this episode drops on... Friday, Mm -hmm. which means if you live in Canberra, you have the opportunity to see me in 48 hours at the street theatre on Sunday night.
1: Not to be missed. It's the very first show, right?
0: It is. It's the world premiere of my show, Kid Chameleon. And I mean, the exciting thing about the first one is I could crash and burn and you'll be there to see it. (laughs) So wouldn't want to miss that. You know what I mean? Um. Also, um. I don't know. Do you have any breaking news this week? You, you're fun employed now, so, <laughs> and you've got the tan to match.
1: I've been working on it as much as I possibly can. Uh, look, honestly, the only thing that anyone's told me from the news was that Elton John had to cancel one of his shows <laughs> over in Auckland. Johnny, you
0: know I mean, something funny upstairs in the office. I said, "Oh, I've got to come up with some breaking news." Does anyone have anything? And someone said, Holden shut down. And I said, no, that Jacob would care about. (laughs) And I love that you then bring Elton John had to walk out of one of his concerts early. (laughs) What happened to Holden? Uh, I don't know the details, but they're stopping making them. Oh. They stopped making them in Australia. Didn't they stop making them in Australia a while ago? They, and Fee-fee's GM nodding. GM started making them in the U.S. Mm. only for us because of the side of the road and the steering wheel on the side of the, you know. Yeah. Um, but then I think they're not making any money, so they were just like, we're not going to make them at all anymore. Bye, Holden.
1: Holden's discontinued. Yes. Wow.
0: Oh, so you do kind of care about it.
1: No, well, that just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that was ever going to happen. A life without barinas is heading our way.
0: But I have heard a lot of people, because everyone's like, oh, no. But then everyone's like, yeah, but do you own one? Like, no one wants to buy them. They just want to clap at (laughs) bogans who drive past in them. So, like, it's kind of we brought it on ourselves, no? Right. Fair enough. Um, I don't know. What else? Oh, yeah, there was this... um, thing in the news about this woman who reclined her plane seat and the guy behind her just continually punched it for an hour and she filmed it and so that like launched this big debate everywhere like who is in the right the woman who declined or the man who continually punched the back of her chair
1: are we going to get into gender dynamics territory <laughs> <here>?
0: <laughs> no look i will say to recline especially on a short flight is crappy yeah don't do it mm-hmm. like When I'm flying from Sydney to Melbourne and someone in front of me reclines, I'm like, get f!" Mm. It's an hour. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But also his reaction was scary angry and he looked scary angry and he just kept punching it and punching it and punching it and punching it. And
1: no one around him stopped him.
0: Well, apparently she called out to the flight attendant and the flight attendant finally came over and then she said to him, oh, I'm sorry, it is a bit tight back there, isn't it? I don't know. He was in the last chair, so Uh he couldn't recline his. Right. But also, like, too bad, you're in the last chair.
1: And what country was this in?
0: Oh, I don't know. I'm giving you just the gist. Okay. It just launched a big thing.
1: Right. This is in
0: the news. Look it up.
1: So don't recline on short flights. Yeah. And also, if someone does recline and it impinges on your space, ask them politely to... Yes. Move it back. Just say, I'm really sorry.
0: I'm abnormally tall or I'm whatever. And that is quite uncomfortable for me. Do you punching
1: is rarely the answer.
0: I think most people would go, Absolutely, I'm sorry. And generally on planes, there's like that understanding where when it's sleeping time, everyone reclines, and when it's eating time, everyone sits up and Mm. you know what I mean? Mm. Everyone gets how to do it.
1: Basic etiquette. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, and that made global news. Wow.
0: <laughs> it really did actually. You guys didn't know. It? it was a huge news story. Yes. I'm just I'm just passing along the information. Oh, uh, this
1: is why I avoid the internet.
0: Okay, well that was breaking news. I gave you the scoop, see? <laughs> I love it now. I know. I, know. I love it. Too. <gasps> oh. Um that could be if we ever do merch. I gave you the, I got the <laughs> scoop. See, breaking news. Do 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 do. <laughs> I gotta say, it's fun to do. Try and do it. It's really fun. Once you start, you can't stop. Go. Breaking news. Do, 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 I know. Do, do. You feel quite sexy. <laughs> Breaking news. Do, do. Anyway, okay, okay. got to
1: get it. A little bit on. more southern in there.
0: We have got a lot of Okay. We've got a lot of Titanic because yes, okay. I could I I told Felix for the first time ever to give me a time warning this week because I could talk about this for so long. So, and Ooh. I'm worried that I've just We'll go into too much detail unless someone reins me in.
1: Okay. So. And now, are you telling this as a narrative or like top five facts? No, or? it's a narrative. Okay. Where do we begin?
0: Oh, we're beginning with the shipping company that designed the Titanic.
1: Oh, oh very beginning. <laughs> okay, great.
0: Okay. 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 Titanic was owned mm-hmm. by a shipping company called the White Star Line, which is... The equivalent of it today, because there wasn't air travel back in 1912, it was kind of like Qantas, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So shipping companies were like airplane companies, Mm -hmm. and their ships were like airplanes. And the White Star Line was run for a long time by one of the dudes who started it called um, Thomas Ismay. But then he died in 1899, and his son Bruce Ismay took over. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was also around this time that a super rich dude called J.P. Morgan invested a lot of money in the company. So J.P. and Bruce were like, oh, my God, your dad's dead. Let's go rogue. And so they were like, let's build some (laughs) cool shit. Mm -hmm. So I kind of imagine they're a bit like Elon Musk, like they've got all this money and they've got this shipbuilding company and so they just want to, like, design the Batmobile of ships. Mm -hmm. And they were being outdone, so they did need to do something Like there was this other shipping company which is still around today called the Cunard Line Mm. um, and they had these two big ships called the Lusitania and the Mortania and they were like the epitome of size and glamour and class and and White Star Line didn't really have anything like that that could compete. Mm. And, you know, the only way to get from America to Europe and back from Europe to America was um, across the Atlantic Ocean on a ship. Mm. So... You wanted to have the ships that people wanted to go on. Mm -hmm. That was how you would make money. Mm -hmm. So Bruce Ismay was like, let's build the bestest, biggest ships ever. And J.P. Morgan was like, I'm into that. Here's heaps of cash. Mm So in 1907, White Star Line Mm -hmm. starts building these three ships that they call the Olympic-class ocean liners. So the first is called the Olympic, and the second is the Titanic, and the third is the Britannic. And Bruce Ismay is like a total press whore, not unlike Elon Musk. Mm. So he starts spruicking them from the get-go, like before they've even started building, when they're just imagining them. He's doing these press conferences about how he's going to like – build, you know, just revolutionise shipping. And it's a, it is is not unlike the way Elon Musk talks about how he's going to revolutionise space travel and make it a tourist thing, mm. and which um, Richard Branson does as well. Mm-hmm. And so he basically just keeps telling everybody that, uh, you know, in a few years we are going to have the only ships you will ever want to go on, unprecedented. And, like, so much vanity goes into it that a lot of people don't know That when they were building the Titanic, it only needed three of those smokestacks on Mm -hmm. top. But because other big ships at the time had four and they wanted it to look like the biggest and the best, Mm. they built the fourth one. But the fourth one's just a hollow fake one and nothing comes out of it. It's just a (laughs) fact. Yeah. So (laughs) when when you look at paintings of the Titanic and see smoke coming out of the fourth one, you know that that's inaccurate. Uh (laughs) Because that one was fake. So anyway, um, Thomas Ismay also started going on at this point while the ships were still being built Mm. um, about the fact that they were going to be unsinkable. Mm -hmm. This was A, because their sheer size would just make them indestructible in the ocean, even though, interestingly, the Titanic is actually the, wait, the smallest cruise ships today are bigger than what the Titanic was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was big then, but it it would be considered tiny Mm -hmm. now. Like, I remember a few years ago for some promo thing, I got to take a free trip on the um, Queen Mary. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I remember walking like a quarter of the way up that ship and I was like, oh, this is how big the Titanic was. Like, tiny yeah but huge back then so they they, I
1: remember that you had to get a ball gown didn't you yeah I did
0: (laughs) because the Queen Mary's super fancy like you you have to wear black tie stuff to dinner and yeah it was nuts and I took Taylor and my little sister who had half a shaved head (laughs) we kind of stood out (laughs) but it was such a blast I would go on the Queen Mary again in an effing heartbeat if I could afford it it's so expensive But it literally is the closest experience you can have, I think, to being on the Titanic mm. these days. Until unless Clive Palmer builds his replica, which he says he is. But um <laughs> What? Yeah, Clive Palmer says he's been building a replica of the Titanic for years. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen, but
1: Has anyone seen it? No.
0: <laughs> There's rendering. Oh. But anyway, uh-huh. so um, yeah, the Queen Mary is it's super old and classy and um one of the funnest things I ever did. So just mm. FYI, Queen Mary people, Put yeah. me back on. Thanks.
1: Just about to say, putting it out there, yeah. Felix, if we need another sponsor. <laughs> Queen I Mary.
0: I would kill to go on that ship again. I had so much fun doing that. Going on the Queen Mary is one of the funnest things I ever did. So they were saying it was unsinkable because it was so big it was indestructible. But also because the ship's designer, this guy called Thomas Andrews, had designed into the ships these things called watertight compartments, which... Mm. The best way to explain it is like the bottom half of the ship is basically like an ice cube tray, like made of big steel walls. Mm. And if any part of the ship is damaged, they would quickly shut the watertight doors so that only that one compartment would fill up with water. Mm -hmm. So then the rest of the ship would stay afloat. Now, the kind of fatal design flaw in this is that like an ice cube tray, it didn't have a lid. So, like, it depended on the water not filling up so high that it would spill over into the next compartment, which would spill over into the next Uh compartment, and so on, so on, so on. So it was designed so that four compartments could fill, and there were 16 compartments. But they never envisioned a situation in which four of the compartments would fill with water. Like, Mm -hmm. that was just unfathomable to them. So Mm -hmm. they assumed it was unsinkable. So, the Olympic, the first ship, launches in 1911, and it does have some issues, but this is just the gist, and I'm trying to rein in my nerdiness, so if you want to look those up, you can. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like the practice ship. Like Mm -hmm. Everyone's most excited about the Titanic, which launches a year later in 1912. And it is literally the most famous thing happening in the world at that time. And the way I keep thinking to compare it is imagine in a few years when space tourism finally happens... Mm -hmm what a huge deal it would, it will be. And like, just in the year before Titanic launched, like people wanted to know what it looked like. They wanted to see the inside of it. They wanted to understand the dimensions of it. It was like selling tickets like crazy. It's like now how like Justin Bieber and Ashton Kutcher and stuff have already bought tickets to be on the first Virgin Galactic trip into space. Mm. Like people were spending a lot of money on tickets. It was like this just unheard of, incredible thing that everybody was excited about, Everyone, everybody wanted to be a part of, everybody was reading about it. It was huge news. Mm. And it was all anyone was talking about for a year, like mm. before it launched. It also really was like nothing anyone had ever seen at the time. So they wanted it to be like a hotel rather than a ship. So mm. the interior design was based off the Ritz Hotel, so it was very fancy. And there was like a swimming pool and a gym and a Turkish bathhouse with an electric spa, which this was 1912. So wow. it was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was like the height of technology. There was like heaps of restaurants. Um, one of them was designed to look like you were walking down a Parisian street. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a library. There was, of course, the Grand Staircase, which everybody recognizes from the mm-hmm. movie, which was considered like a feat of design to have that kind of glass dome in the middle of this structure. Mm -hmm. Also, the third and second class facilities were way better than others at the time. So Mm -hmm. second class on the Titanic was considered almost like first class on other ships. Mm -hmm. And same as third class was a lot like second class. And the tickets were, hold on, I've got the conversions here. So a first class cabin was around $4,000 in 1912, which is over $100,000 today. The cheapest first class cabin you could get was $2,300, but that was like sharing with other gentlemen. You Uh know what I mean? So that was kind of like 1st class's version of a dorm. Mm -hmm. Um, The cheapest ticket you could get was in third class, which was 40 bucks, And that was bunking in a room with like 10 other people. And that was about $900 Uh today. The first trip was going to be from Southampton in England to New York in the US. That brings us to the Maiden Voyage. Uh So... On April 10, 1912, it leaves Southampton. A lot of people don't know that it also stops in Cherbourg in France to pick up some more people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it picked up the famous Molly Brown, played by Kathy Bates in the Titanic Was movie. she a real person? She was a real person, Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Um,
0: she went on <laughs> She went on to be called the unsinkable Molly Brown because mm. um, she, you know, didn't sink. Mm. Um, but she was also in her boat, um, in her lifeboat, got all the women on her lifeboat together to boss around the officer to get him to take the boat back to try and find people who were alive. Uh-huh. So she was, like, one of the only first-class people to be like, let's not let everyone die, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so she was a real person. She got on in Cherbourg. And then from Cherbourg, it set off across the Atlantic, like, and then it was going to be nonstop to New York. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of famous people on board. So there was this guy called John Jacob Astor, Um. And his wife, he was kind of like a very famous rich dude, kind of like James Packer today. Mm -hmm. So he got on with his wife. Um, There was Ida Strauss, who was the founder of Macy's Department Store. He Mm -hmm. got on with his wife, Isidore. They're actually depicted in the movie, you know, at the end, towards the end when there's an older gentleman and his wife lying in bed together as the water rises around them because she refused to get on a lifeboat without him. So they just went back to their cabin and drowned. That's them in the movie.
1: That's real too. Yeah, that's real too. Wow.
0: John Jacob Astor, he died as well, and his body was so deteriorated from the water, the only way they knew it was him is because he had um, monogrammed, like, underwear and collar oh. in his body. Mm. Also Benjamin Guggenheim was on board. Mm. Um, just kind of like the entire guest list of the Met Gala today. Right was Uh on the Titanic. Mm -hmm. So, like, celebrities, but also just, like, society people and whatever. Mm -hmm. But also a lot of third class and second class, which is where they made the majority of their money, was Mm -hmm. hawking those tickets. A lot of immigrants who were going to America to, like, start a new Mm -hmm. life. Also on board is Bruce Ismay, who'd been plugging it for years and years and was, like, felt like he was about to become a bazillionaire, felt Mm -hmm. like this was his rock star moment. Thomas Andrews, the designer, was there as well. Interestingly, and this has led to a lot of, like, conspiracy theories. JP Morgan, the guy who funded the whole thing, pulled out the day before the ship left. Uh And we won't go into this because it's just the gist and it's a whole other thing, but there is a conspiracy (laughs) that they swapped the Titanic with another ship and sank it on purpose for the insurance money and JP Morgan knew that and that's why he didn't get on. But you can Google (laughs) that yourselves.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But just real quick, was it insured? (sighs) Okay. Okay. Let let me give you
0: a very, 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 very quick... You know how I said there'd been a lot of problems with the Olympic. Yeah, it had a lot of problems because it was basically them testing stuff out. A lot of problems was just with the propeller because it was so big and heavy, it kept hitting the ocean floor when they were in shallow waters, Mm. and so there was problems with the propeller and all this stuff. And it got to the and the Olympic had had a collision with a navy ship, and because it was a navy ship, they couldn't get any insurance money for it Mm. because government agencies are protected. And so J.P. Morgan was out a lot of money. So there is a conspiracy that they um, basically just like painted the Olympic as the Titanic, (laughs) sent it off on its maiden voyage knowing that it would sink, Mm -hmm. and then they could collect the insurance money because it sank in a different way. Uh That's that's the conspiracy. Right. I don't believe it. Uh I've read... Several books on the subject. <laughs> it's been debunked. But a lot of people believe that J.P. Morgan didn't get on the maiden voyage because he knew they were going to sink it. But right. Whatever. Uh-huh. The ship was captained by a guy called Edward John Smith who had literally retired. And he was like a pretty famous ship captain. But Bruce Ismay begged him to do this one last journey just because it was kind of like a symbolic thing. It's kind mm. of like the first tourist spaceship into space being captained by Neil Armstrong. Uh It's like there are plenty of people who can do it, but it's Mm. just cool to have him do it. So Bruce Ismay was like, please, John Smith, will you do it? And he was like, oh, my God, okay, well, I was about to retire. Like I just, you know, worked for 60 years in one of the most dangerous jobs ever, and somehow I was lucky enough to survive. So surely my luck will continue through this one last voyage. Mm. So he says yes. Uh Okay. Okay. The sinking? The (laughs) sinking. So things go fine for the first few days. They left on April 10. Things are, like, pretty good. Bruce Ismay is pushing for the ship to go super fast because he wants to prove that not only is Titanic super fancy but that it will get there really fast, and Mm. it's the fastest ship that will cross from England to New York. And Captain Smith's just kind of like, whatevs, man. Like, I've got one foot out the door. Mm. Sure. Like... (laughs) What do, you, what do you say? Pedal to the metal. Yeah, Let's do what it. What could possibly go yeah. wrong? They were getting a lot of warnings about ice because the Atlantic Ocean at that time of year is freezing. And mm. so there's a lot of um, not just big icebergs, but just like sheets of ice and stuff that you have to be very careful of. But they think that um, they just kept powering through because they thought Titanic was so huge and indestructible it would just break whatever it was mm. going through was mm. kind of the thing. Plus this pressure to get to New York really quickly. So everything's good, but then at 11.40 p.m. on April 13, the Titanic strikes an iceberg. Boom, boom. I know. Now, there's a few reasons this happened. The first is that there's ice everywhere. Mm. There are two men, uh, lookouts, who stand up in the little basket called the crow's nest, which is that thing right at the topmost point of the ship, and they're meant to look out for icebergs. Mm. The problem was on this night um, there was no moon, so it was quite dark, and also the sea was, like, abnormally calm. Like, Mm. they've said since then it was almost like it was a pond, like Mm. there was just no waves. And so normally you can see water crashing against the base of an iceberg, so Mm -hmm. they couldn't really see that. And also, this is nuts, and this is another thing that people say proves the conspiracy. There was a mix-up in Southampton, and so the lookouts didn't have any binoculars. So, like, they were up there looking, but they couldn't look that far. Uh Uh-huh. Which was, like, a big deal.
1: That's proven they didn't have binoculars? No, they didn't have them. Yeah, there was a
0: mix-up. They got left in Southampton. (laughs) (laughs) So, they didn't have binoculars. But one of them um, sees, Frederick Fleet, sees the um, iceberg, and he screams out that iconic line, iceberg radhead, and he Mm. rings the bell. And so, they start to turn the ship, but, you know, it was really big. It couldn't really turn that quickly. And so... it. It turned enough that it missed hitting it head on, but it scraped along the side of the ship. Mm-hmm. And so, this is where the watertight compartments kind of failed. So, they think it would have been better for the ship to actually just hit it head on Ram it. because then only two or three of the compartments would have filled and it would mm-hmm. have been fine. And a lot of people think that there's this huge gash along the side, but it's mm. actually not. It just kind of ran along the side of the iceberg and just little holes like did oh, like all the way along, like just scraped it. all the way along and damaged enough of the watertight compartments that like too many of them, like five of them were filled within 15 minutes, which mm. meant the ship was effed. Uh-huh. Within about 15 minutes, it was clear to Thomas Andrews that the ship was going to sink. Mm. So Captain Smith had been in bed um, when it happened, but he felt it, so he went up to the bridge, which is where they steer the ship. He called Thomas Andrews. Thomas Andrews called down to the crew. They told him five of the compartments had already filled. They could already feel the ship starting to tilt, Mm. and Thomas Andrews just said to Captain Smith, we've probably got less than two hours. And it was almost that. So it struck at 11.40 and it sunk at 2.20. So it took only two and a half hours from the moment it happened to the moment it was just completely gone.
1: And why was the movie so long?
0: (laughs) Tell me about it. Cut out Jack and Rose, (laughs) I say. (laughs) And everybody up on the bridge, when Thomas Andrew tells them that, is Mm. like, what? Because they just... People truly believed the ship couldn't sink. Like, they mm. weren't prepared for it. And because they thought it was unsinkable, they had, like, tentatively done, like, safety drills and stuff, but not in any significant way. Mm. Captain Smith and Thomas Andrews both knew straight away that a lot of people were going to die because the Titanic had 20 lifeboats, which could each fill with 68 people, which holds a total of 1,178 people. Mm. But there was, and there's no way to know exact numbers, but there was approximately 2,200 people on board. So, about at least a thousand people weren't going to get in a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lack of lifeboats for two reasons. A lot of people think it was just like they say, oh, it made the ship look messy and they mm-hmm. didn't want that many, which is true. They could have had two rows of lifeboats along the deck and they decided to have one so there'd be more walking room and stuff. Mm. But they also followed regulation. Like, they had as many as they had to have. Mm. And that's because the lifeboats weren't designed to evacuate everybody. The lifeboats were designed to ferry people from the ship to a rescue ship Uh and then go back and pick up more people. Right. So they assumed they had enough lifeboats to take people to a rescue ship, Mm -hmm. and they assumed there would be a rescue ship because the Atlantic crossing between England and America is so busy with so many ships. Mm. There was just always going to be another ship within an hour Mm -hmm. that could come. So, like, um, yeah, they they had what they thought was, enough mm. to get them out of a jam. On this night, though, and there was a lot of inquiries as to why this happened, no ship came. So the wireless operators, that's the Morse code. Oh, that sounds yeah. like <laughs> news. So they started sending out distress calls straight away, but no one close by was responding, and they mm. could see a ship in the distance, which meant it had to only be less than a few miles away. They could see the lights of a ship in the distance, but they couldn't get it to answer. Um, And this is most likely because a lot of ships had stopped for the night because of the ice and also because those smaller ships don't have as many staff and they generally have one wireless operator who only mans it during the day, who Mm. goes to bed at night, and Mm. it was after midnight, so there was just no one answering it. Mm. Um, That ship that they could see, they found out eventually, was a ship called the California, and during the night the officers could see the Titanic sending up distress um, flares, those mm. firework things, and they could see like sort of the lights starting to turn off and they sort of like woke up the captain and they were like, do you think that's bad? And he was like, mm, they'll radio through. And no one thought the radio guy's in bed. <laughs> and so they just sat there and then eventually they couldn't see it anymore and they thought, oh, it must have just sailed away. Aww. They got in trouble later. (laughs) (laughs) They got in big trouble later. Okay, so what was happening on the Titanic while all this was going down? Confusion, mainly. No one was prepared. So Mm. it was basically from the time they hit the iceberg to the time it sank, two and a half hours of confused mayhem. Apparently, the second Captain Smith realized everyone was going to die, he just checked out mentally Mm. and just started wandering around. Like, he just didn't quite know what to do Mm -hmm. so the officers who had barely been trained in what to do in a situation like this because they never assumed they would have to be in one were trying to lead things but they had no idea what they were doing Mm. Um, they'd done like bare minimum training with lifeboats there was meant to be a lifeboat drill that morning for passengers but captain smith had cancelled it they think because it was sunday morning Mm. so he was just like don't worry about it So passengers didn't know what to do either. There'd been no drill. Like, and I will say when I went on the Queen Mary, that was the first thing you did. You got on the ship, you went and dropped your shit off, stuff off in your room, and you immediately had to go up to this big communal area where they walked you through what to do. Like, before you even left the dock, they told you what to do Mm -hmm. if the ship was sinking.
1: Well, they've learned their lesson.
0: Exactly. So crew members started loading people onto the boats, but... A lot of them didn't realize the severity of what was happening and it wasn't confirmed to them that the ship was sinking. So Mm. a lot of them just thought it was like, you know, a precaution. Most first-class passengers didn't want to get into the boats because they looked rickety and shit and they were like, (laughs) why would I get off this unsinkable, like, five-star monster of a boat and Mm. get onto that piece of crap? (laughs) Um, So a lot of them were refusing to get in. The band was asked to come and play just to like keep them calm so the string quartet was there mm. which famously um played until like literally water was at their knees and then they played a song called nearer my god to thee and then they put their instruments down and just went their separate ways and they all died
1: oh i know i forgot how sad this story is
0: i know But they were there playing, keeping everyone calm. Mm. Service staff were told to keep setting the tables for breakfast, like just don't act like anything's wrong. (laughs) Um, Because at first it was like no one could, unless you were on the lower decks, Mm. you didn't really know what was happening. Mm. So some boats started leaving the ship with like less than 20 people in them Mm. because the officers were just like, well, I don't know, no one wants to get in them and... Like, they're probably just going to come back anyway. So, like, they had the capacity to fit 68 people and they will leave. Some will leave. The smallest one left with 12. Wow. Um, This is when Bruce Ismay got on a boat because um, the rule is women and children first, but at that point no one really wanted to get on. There wasn't Mm -hmm. really anyone around. So they put women and children on and then they were like, well, Who else wants to get on? Mm. And even though Bruce Ismay had been told there's not enough boats, everyone's going to die, he was like, me. And so he (laughs) got on one. And he uh, was basically ostracized from society for the rest of his life. He got sent white feathers, which is a symbol for cowardice in the Mm. mail, like forever. Mm. He basically had to retreat from public society because people hated him so much for Mm. like not going down with the ship. Mm -hmm. In the lower decks, though, things were a lot more real because they could see the water. Like Uh shit was coming at them fast, (laughs) not like upstairs. And so the lifeboats which were located on the first class decks weren't accessible by people in those lower decks Mm. um, because back then they literally split the classes by like locked gates. Uh And the service staff were informed not to let any of the third class passengers through until all the first class passengers had got onto boats, Mm. but that was Frustrating because none of the first class passengers would get on the boats. And so it just, it was just confusion and mayhem everywhere. A lot of people down in those lower decks were trapped and drowned pretty quickly, like early on. Mm. So, what's weird about it is a lot of people, uh, you imagine everybody, um, you know, who drowned sort of in the sea at the end after it sunk. But what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of the deaths were below the decks within the first half an hour, 45 minutes. So mm. there were all these people upstairs, like, hadn't realized. Yeah. So many people were already dead. Mm. So when the water started hitting the upper decks, that's when panic started to set in. And also the boat really started tilting now. And... The front of the boat, like it was tilting on its side, the side where the iceberg had hit. So it was filling up there first, mm. but then it was also starting to fill from the front. So the front end of the boat was sinking down and the back end was starting to rise up a bit. Mm. So people understood now, were starting to realize the boat was actually, the ship was actually sinking. Mm-hmm. So for everyone, this is kind of when panic really started to hit in and what was initially reluctance to get into the lifeboats now turned into, like, mass hysteria to get mm. into the ones that were left because there weren't even that many left. And this is when, like, all hell starts break loose to break loose and, like, the butt of the ship is, like, going up in the air and women and children start just getting shoved on boats by crew members. Like, I don't give an F if you don't want to get on. Like, Ugh. And then men were like, wait, this isn't fair. I want to get on. And it was, like, just mayhem. Mm. At about 10 past 2, so about 10 minutes before the ship fully sinks, there's two boats left um, that a bunch of officers are trying to get free but they can't and one of them tips over upside down so a bunch of men grab onto that one and the other one kind of almost fills up with water but the boats are basically getting untied as the water is meeting them. Mm -hmm. Those boats do end up floating in the sea for a while and most of the men who managed to hold on to them died of the cold, but a few of the men who grabbed onto those boats survived. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know, it sank. Uh-huh.
1: It sank then. Did it really break in half? Yes. Yes.
0: And there is a way we we were able to verify that later when it was found on mm. the ocean floor. So um, it basically, you know, people remember from the movie, mm. but it it went basically vertical. Mm. And then the weight of the top half of the ship out of the water was too much. So the ship snapped, snapped, the bottom half started sinking and then the top half as it filled up went vertical again and then that slowly sunk. And the Titanic is actually in two parts on the ocean floor Mm -hmm. and they're about 500 metres apart. Oh. Yeah. Um, Which is when they finally were able to verify that it had snapped because there was always like, I think just in the, in the adrenaline of the moment and a lot of people, it was like a lot of people in the lifeboat said they saw it break in half but mm. a lot of people didn't mm. and so they just were never quite sure Yeah. until they found it.
1: Are both halves upright? What do you mean? It's probably such a minor On the ocean question. floor.
0: No, yeah. no, no, they're both horizontal. Lying down. Yeah, okay. and the right way up, ah. which was very good for like salvaging and sending the little submarine machines in there. Mm-hmm. There's crazy stuff in there like cabinets full of like stacked plates that fell where all the plates are still stacked because that's how they fell into the ground and stuff. Really cool shit. So when the ship finally goes into the water, there's about 1,500 people in the water and it's minus two degrees Celsius, which is like a fatal level of cold. And I wrote down here what it does to you. Do you want me to read it? Yes. Okay. Okay. So plunged into seas at that temperature, around 20% of victims die within two minutes from something called cold shock, which is uncontrolled rapid breathing, gasping, massive increase in blood pressure, which leads to cardiac arrest. So you have a heart attack within a couple minutes. Uh Another 50% will die within 15 to 30 minutes of something called cold incapacitation. So that's when you lose the ability to control your limbs and hands for swimming and your body protectively shuts down the peripheral muscles of the limbs to protect itself, so then you can't swim, so you drown. So you basically freeze in one spot and you drown. And the rest of the people died of exhaustion or drowning and they all died within less than 30 minutes. So it's very fast. Mm-hmm. People in the lifeboats nearby said they could hear the screams of people for help, and then it, like, slowly got quieter Mm. and quieter and quieter until, like, there was just nothing left. This one woman, this is quite, like, a famous um, anecdote, but I don't know if it's true, but she said um, you could hear screaming and then you could hear, and it was, like, deafening, Mm. and then you could hear some moaning, and she said then you could hear just one man say, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then that was the last thing anybody heard, and then it it was silence. Mm. A woman said that at the inquiry um, in court. None of the lifeboats went back, though, because they were all terrified that they'd get swamped, which, like, people say that's selfish, but I'm like, "Mm." I, you know, it's kind of true, though. Mm. Like, if you're in a lifeboat and you're like, and there's 1,500 people drowning, the second your lifeboat's there, they're all going to desperately mm. grab onto it and so.
1: But did you say that Molly lady did convince them to go back?
0: Yes, but eventually. Uh-huh. Like, oh, and it was
1: too late by then?
0: Yeah, it was too late by then because they all died so far. Like yeah. when I say half an hour, that was a few people. Most people died within minutes. Mm. Like it was so fast, mm. so freezing. There were... Few people pulled out of the water, though. They say about seven, although, you know, it's disputed whether or not you count the people who are holding on to that upturned boat, so mm. the numbers change. But they say it's about seven, the most famous of which was the ship's baker, Charles Jocken, who, when he realised the ship was sinking, went and downed a whole bottle of liqueur he found <laughs> in the kitchen because he was like, fuck it. <laughs> in the movie, they put him next to Jack and Rose as the ship is sinking. So he literally did. He was meant to be a captain of one of the lifeboats, but mm. the lifeboat that he was um, working on already had a sailor in it, so he didn't feel right get taking a space. Mm. So that's when he went and found the liqueur in the kitchen, drank it, and then he came out and when he realised there were no boats left, he spent all his time going around throwing as many deck chairs as he could find over the side for people to hold on to mm. when they were in the water. And then when he'd done that, he was smart, and he went and climbed on the very end of the ship. Mm. Climbed on the other side, oh, yeah. and then so when it tipped up, yep. he just basically said, "I he said I rode it down like an elevator, and when it got to the bottom, when it the ship met the water, I just stepped off." That's what he says. And so they put him in the movie when Jack and Rose are holding on, waiting for the thing to go down. Rose looks um, like next to her, and there's a man in a white chef's uniform. And that's
1: him. aha. Uh-huh.
0: So he. Gets, By
1: the way, I. He's got similar instincts to mine because yeah. I'm going down a <laughs> saying, bottle of liquor know, right? as well. <laughs> and is that what kept him alive? Yeah, well, that's it kept what his they say. Yeah. So enough.
0: yeah, he. Um. They. He got pulled from the water like two hours later, and so when it was, um, daylight, it had already. Um, uh, the sun had risen, and they say the only way he survived is that the alcohol kept his body warm. He says he didn't even notice it was cold. (laughs) I think he was pretty smashed.
1: Was that part of the Queen Mary safety procedures? If the ship starts (laughs) to to go go down, just guzzle some vodka. (laughs)
0: No, funnily enough, they didn't recommend that.
1: (laughs) Your own hack that you took in with you.
0: Uh, um, Notable deaths were, um, like I already told you, Ida and Isidore Strauss, J.J. Astor, Thomas Andrews died, uh, as did Captain Smith. Um, because it was kind of back then that thing where you have to, if you don't go down with your ship, you'll be treated like Bruce is May forever, which mm. is kind of, um, what was that ship a few years ago that, um, tipped over sideways and a lot of people died and the captain took off within the Concordia? C- C- Concordia?
1: Felix is nodding. That ship, in,
0: it was like off the Italian coast, like a few years ago and it, um, hit the reef and tipped sideways not a lot of people died. I think, like, 20 or something, or maybe mm. even less. But the captain pretty much got off straight away and just didn't help. <laughs> um, and so my- I think he's in prison now. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. There you go. Um, Italy has a reef? I I, I just uh. was picking a place. I don't know. Around, you know, wherever. So it's hard to have exact numbers, but about 700 people lived and about a bit over 1,500 died. Mm. Um, And of those 1,500 people, only 330 bodies were recovered. Um, The last one of which was found two months later, a few hundred miles from the site of the sinking. There's some pretty moving photos um, from down on the seafloor of shoes next to each other. So you know that a body was once there that has since disintegrated and the shoes remain. Mm. You can go and, like, Google all these incredible photos in the morning, there was one ship that during the night had responded to their wireless calls. It was a ship called the Carpathia, but they had been like five hours away and they were like, surely there's a ship closer. Like, isn't the California around there? And they were like, we can't get in touch with them. <laughs> They're high. Um, and so the Carpathia was like, okay, shit, we're coming. So they left straight away and came, but it took them five hours to get there. And they expected to get there to like, you know, sit, and they just got there and there was, a few lifeboats in the water, and they were like, what the hell? (laughs) And so everyone from the lifeboats got pulled onto the Carpathia. It took three days to get to New York, which by then, along with the rest of the world, was in total shock. So imagine, like, all the – like, just everyone at the Met Gala, every famous person you can think of right now, all went on Richard Branson's first tourist, like, trip into space, Mm. and it crashed and exploded, and they all died. Like, everyone was just mm. in shock. Yep. No one could believe it. When the Carpathia got to New York, 40,000 people were waiting at the dock to see the survivors get mm. off the ship. Oh, and that's when Molly Brown, because reporters were there and everyone was like, what was it like? And mm. Molly Brown got off and they said to her, how did you survive? And she said, because I'm unsinkable. And uh, she said, unlike the Titanic, I'm unsinkable. Oh. <laughs> and so then she got named the unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> There was lots and lots and lots of inquiries. Basically, they all came to the conclusion that uh, Captain Smith had ignored ice warnings because he wanted to get to New York really fast. Mm -hmm. There was an inadequate amount of lifeboats, Mm -hmm. obviously, and the crew weren't properly trained in how to fill them. And there was also... A lot of talk and a lot of inquiries about where the hell the Californian was. And so, like I said, they all got in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. The two main sort of changes to law that came out of the disaster was that radios and wireless machines had to be operated 24 hours a day. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't have a wireless operator who goes to bed at 8 (laughs) p.m. And um, they're also they were no longer going to do the method of lifeboats are just there to ferry people to a rescue ship. There had to be enough lifeboats for everybody Mm -hmm. to have a seat in one, which seems so logical. (laughs)
1: Some lessons you have to learn the hard way.
0: (laughs) Then in 1986, Robert Ballard, famous sea explorer, finally finds the Titanic under the sea. It's almost four kilometres down in the Atlantic Ocean it was split in two parts, mm-hmm. which finally confirmed that it had broken. And there's lots of cool stuff down there. And since then, he to- he's a um, he's all about like uh, protecting and preserving sites like that. But there's mm-hmm. been a lot of problems with like grave robbers and stuff, and um, people stealing parts of it. There's also been a lot of debate about whether or not we should preserve it and leave it as it is, mm-hmm. as a sort of holy site uh, to honor the dead. Mm-hmm or if we should save all the stuff before it disintegrates because the pressure of the water down there is something like 4,000 pounds per per square inch. So, Mm -hmm. like, a person would just get crushed in a second. Mm -hmm. So all the stuff down there is just getting worn away and worn away and worn away. And so they're trying to, you know, they have brought a majority of it up. So you can go to all those exhibitions where you can Mm -hmm. see stuff they've pulled up from the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are certain things they've kept down there mm-hmm. because they feel like it's not right to move them. But, Do you agree
1: um, with that point of view? Um,
0: I don't know. I I mean, now, 20 years ago, maybe I would have said leave it, but now it is, they think probably any day now, um, the two structures will just collapse mm-hmm. in on themselves because it's just eroding and eroding and eroding. I think you should take the stuff and preserve it. Mm. But properly, the thing is you can't really regulate regulate who's taking it and who's allowed to take it and where they're going to put it and where it's going to go. And right. at the moment, all the stuff, I mean, a lot of the stuff has been taken to put in exhibitions in, like, Las Vegas. Like, that's a bit ick. Yeah. Like, it, I don't know. It's hard to regulate. Yeah.
1: Is it just a matter of finders keepers because it's international waters? A little bit. Right.
0: And then they've tried to kind of regulate it. They've tried to have it be a British government thing, a US government thing, like, but... um. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, let's save everything. Other people are like, let's make money off everything. Mm -hmm. Other people are like, leave it alone. That's a grave site. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of it, really. And then James Cameron made that movie (laughs) and everyone was like, here's this cool thing. And I was like, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to this cool thing. (laughs) Wow. That I was obsessed with when I was little.
1: Good recap.
0: Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Would you accept a seat on a submersible to take you down? To see the Titanic? Oh, my God. It
0: was my dream my whole life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's all I wanted to do when I was little. I used to, like, try and dream up ways because it it would cost, like, I remember finding out it would cost, like, $200,000. And I was like, I can make that. I'll figure it out. Uh I'll get that cash. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out, because Clive Palmer has said he wants to build a replica. There's also this Chinese company that wants to build a replica. I was like, I'm there. I'm on it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Get me on going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just obsessed.
1: I feel like you'd be tempting fate. <sighs> I, I know. Also, it's a bit
0: icky, isn't it?
1: Oh, just I mean, the original was such a big moment of hubris being demonstrated. That's really what
0: it was. Like they did all those inquiries and it's like, well, what does it come down to? Hubris. Yeah. That's it.
1: Which is why it amazes me that so many people are wanting to sign up to be on the first trip on the German Galactic. Come on, have Let we learned other people nothing? be
0: the test <laughs> <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> uh.
1: so bizarre. And who knows what sorts of statements they're going to make about unblow or un... I know. What's the equivalent for sky? Um, Fallable. Fallable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indestructible. Like, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, what are your thoughts?
1: Golly, so we're coming up on Recap the... it in a
0: minute. They built it. They were cocky. It sunk.
1: Ta-da. (laughs) Ta-da. Is the White Star liner company still around today?
0: Uh, No, it kind of uh, died in the ass after that and got uh, incorporated by the Cunard line, which is still a shipping line today. Uh So most big ocean liners um, are part of the Cunard line, which absorbed White Star line. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's it for questions that I've got.
0: (laughs) It's a pretty comprehensive recap. You
1: covered it nicely. You really did. So... Are any of the final survivors alive?
0: No, the last one died in 2000, uh, I think, 14 maybe.
1: Okay, so not yeah. that
0: long not ago. That, not very long ago. No. I think there was like one or two of them left at the 100-year anniversary and it was like, it was a woman who'd been like nine months old. Mm. Um, the people who could remember it, I think the last of them died in the early 2000s, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one woman who was on, um, she was on the Olympic and the Titanic and the Britannic because she worked as a stewardess. And then the mm. Britannic ended up being a warship and she was a nurse on that as well. So there's one person who went on all three.
1: Wow. And have you watched the movie again recently?
0: No, I haven't watched it since I was a kid.
1: The special effects are so bad. Are <laughs> they? It was years ago that I saw it. I remember I,
0: I um, got on the waiting list to get the VHS, ah. <laughs> um, of course, <laughs> and I got this special box set that came with all this extra junk. And uh-huh. um, the day it got to the shop, I like—I lived in the Blue Mountains and I got on the train and I went down to Penrith Plaza and I picked it up and I watched it a bunch of times on VHS, but... Um, and forced everyone in my family, to like pause and be like, "There's the engine room. That's and see the thing and the rivets." And then my they'd just be like, oh, "Shut the f up, Rosie." But I haven't watched it since I was a kid because mm. I never really cared about the movie so much. Mm. I mean, I liked watching it because I got to see the. Sh- it was like, it's hard to describe to people what growing up without the internet was. Yeah. And so I've been obsessed with this ship for so many years. And the movie coming out, it was, like, something I had been imagining and had only ever seen in still pictures in books. Mm-hmm. I was seeing it on this huge screen. Like, it, it just blew my mind mm-hmm. going to see that movie and seeing that come to life in a way I never thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, world without internet, kids. It's weird. <laughs>
1: Only 23 short years ago.
0: <laughs> it really wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Not so. I mean, I couldn't just go online and Google Titanic. Uh. My mum had to go to a bookstore, have them order me a book from England, and then she had to wait months for that to arrive, and then I sat there with one book mm. reading it. Do you still have it? Of course I do. Atta I've girl. got all my books. Yes, I've got all my crap that I had. <laughs> <laughs> They're my portholes, though. I don't know where those are.
1: Yeah, you need to get some more of that. And
0: somewhere along the way, my um, front page of the New York Times disappeared too. Because you know how much I moved as a kid. I don't know yeah, where yeah. half my stuff is. But not surprisingly, I held on to my Titanic books. <laughs> <laughs> every foster home, every house, every school, everywhere I went, I'm somehow thirty three and they're still on my shelf at home as we speak.
1: With all your little corrections written throughout them. Yes. I love that so much.
0: Next to all my poly pockets.
1: Oh. <laughs> Take some photos and post them online. <laughs>
0: okay, well. Yeah. Um, I think that's it.
1: Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that.
0: Um, next week you and I will be recording this from Adelaide Fringe. Yeah. Um so I'm trying to think of something Adelaide specific to do. For, so if you've got any suggestions, send them on through to my Insta or whatever. Yeah, good idea. Because I'd love to do point. an Adelaide focus just the gist while we're in Adelaide.
1: Something about wine, maybe.
0: I feel like there's a famous murder or something.
1: Ah, oh, we are getting into true crime podcast territory. Aren't I we? know.
0: We've yeah. Got to, yeah, maybe we should avoid. Oh, they're good. Anyway.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Listener